Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Hey there, Bible Center family. It's good to see you here this morning. Thank you for those of you who are joining us in person, those of you who are joining us online or on TV. Uh, It's great to have you here. I'm Matt. I'm the lead pastor. I'd love to meet you after the service. I'll be down front. It'd be an honor to pray with you, answer any questions that you may have. Will you take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of James? We're going to start our series in the book of James, James chapter 1, verse 1. And while you're turning, I want to say just another moment of thanks, as Pastor John already said, and as he cast vision for, I want to say thank you uh, as a church for your generosity. I remember when the pandemic started, most of us, that'll be a core memory for us when the pandemic started. I remember on the day when I heard that a friend in California was closing their church, uh, at least their church building for a season, I thought, man, those people in California are nuts, right? Those people are nuts. Like, we're never going to do that here in West Virginia. We're never going to shut down anything. They're not going to make us shut down. And then uh, it came to West Virginia, right? And uh, we emailed you throughout the course of the week and let you know, uh, you know, things were changing. And then eventually we had to shut down the building and our corporate gatherings for several months. And so I can remember I was concerned about three things. I was concerned about, first of all, how are we going to care for our congregation? Uh, All of our pastoral training up until that point had been on care in person, right? And even online was a stretch for us that we've been doing somewhat. But how do we care for people through a pandemic? The second thing was, how do we connect people to Jesus and one another? Again, all of our training in seminary was about how to connect people and, and connect people to Jesus. How do you do that when you can't be with people, And then somewhere down on the list, uh, my concern was, how will the Lord provide for us? Can the Lord prepare a table in the wilderness, the Bible asks. And I can remember just being so overwhelmed. How is this going to happen? Can the Lord take care of us, kind of like the children of Israel uh, in the Old Testament? There was a funeral that day, and uh, Pastor Richard was doing the funeral, and I was just going to come in and, and be a small part of it. And I couldn't even come in. Uh, just the thought. We met with the staff. We huddled the staff together. I don't even remember what I said. I tried to, uh, you know, give some great leadership speech. I'm sure it was awful. Uh, but I mean, I was just, I had no idea what we were going to do. But the Lord has been so good and so faithful. And I want to thank you as one of your pastors for your generosity, for your giving, uh, for the way that you have stepped up during this pandemic. I cannot, cannot thank you enough. We want to move forward in mission. We want to press forward making disciples of Jesus. And we can do that with strength because of you. So thank you. Today we begin a series uh, titled Holy Transformed, verse by verse through the book of James. James is a simple book, chapter uh, five chapters, but his goal is for us to be wholly transformed into the image of Jesus. James is a power-packed summary of everything Jesus is and everything that Jesus taught. Now, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you'll notice that the book of James has a lot of references to several other books, several other passages. One of those books uh, is the book of uh, Job. Another one of those books is the book of Proverbs. Another one of those references is the Sermon on the Mount. It's almost as if James took Jesus's words in the Sermon on the Mount, Proverbs and Job, and mixed them up together into one big pot of stew. Now, we know that that was an inspired book, an inspired pot of stew, but this image helps me make sense 
of the book of James and keep it organized in my mind. And so if you are artistic in nature, you're going to love this. If you are not, then you can just ignore the next couple of minutes. But when I think of the book of James, I think of it as a pot of stew. But it's not just any stew, it's spiritual transformation stew. In this 14-week series, we're going to examine the ingredients that go into our spiritual transformation. There are actually 12 ingredients, and so this series is 14 weeks long. After a couple of introductory sermons, today and next week, we're going to look. Every sermon is about one of those 12 ingredients in the pot of spiritual stew. But again, these first two weeks from James chapter 1 are all introductory. And so next week, we're going to see that, 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 that it's a lot like the second half of James chapter 1 is a lot like that spoon or that ladle. We're going to hear next week that God says, don't just look at the stew, eat the stew. Don't just be satisfied with the ingredients that are in your cupboard, but make sure you enjoy them, partake of them. That's next week's sermon. This week's sermon from the first half of James chapter 1 is all about the fire under the stew, the fire under the kettle. And James, before he ever jumps into the 12 different ingredients of spiritual transformation, right out of the gate tells us that the key to making all these things come together is the heat of trials or the heat of suffering. Here's today's big idea. Suffering is the heat God uses to bring out the best flavor in Jesus' followers. Suffering is the heat God uses to bring out the best flavor in Jesus' followers. We could say the same thing any number of ways. God uses trials and temptations to transform us into the image of Jesus. Suffering is the environment God uses to transform us more into the image of Jesus. Suffering is the fire under the kettle where the stew of spiritual formation is made. And I like this one, to make strong disciples, God throws us in the crock pot of suffering and turns up the heat. Suffering is the heat God uses to bring out the best flavor in Jesus's followers. Now, what flavor does God want us to be? According to Matthew chapter five, God invites us to be salt of the earth. We're to be salty, not in a bad way, but in a positive way. Ephesians chapter 5, we're to be sweet like Jesus. Jesus was a sweet-smelling savor or a sweet flavor. And so all of Ephesians 5 are ways that we can be sweet taste, a sweet flavor in this world. Galatians 5 describes it this way, that we're to be loving and joyful and peace and peaceful and patient and gentle and good and meek and self-controlled. Those are all ways that we can be a good flavor in the world. Now, Christian, God, when he saved you, you put your faith in Christ, wasn't done with you. Humanly speaking, when you put your faith in Christ, that was just the beginning. That's why we say here at Bible Center, the gospel isn't just Jesus saves, but Jesus transforms, and one day God will restore. I like you, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 says this, Be confident of this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, we want this for you. 
Most of my messages here at Bible Center are for believers, are for the Christian. We want uh, Christians to grow in Christ. But if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this message is for you too. We want you to get in on this, not just to avoid hell, not just to get to heaven. While all those things are true, we want you to experience this transformative life in Christ. You see, without Jesus, you can transform yourself physically, emotionally, psychologically, etc. But you will never be able to form yourself into the image of Jesus without Jesus. And so we want you to believe the gospel. Again, the gospel is that God creates, sin breaks, but Jesus saves. Jesus came to earth, lived the sinless life that you and I could never live, died on the cross, rose again the third day. And Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. If you're here today and not a follower of Jesus, I invite you even now or during our communion service in a moment to pray and ask the Lord to save you. If you say, Matt, how can I go public with my faith? If you put your faith in Jesus today, the way you can let me know, the way you can go public with your faith and let the world know, your friends and family know, is through a baptism service. We've got a baptism service coming up in February. You can register on the app or online If you're a believer and you've not yet been baptized, get baptized. Today, if you become a believer, go public with your faith in our baptism service. But again, Christian, the gospel doesn't end with Jesus saves. He transforms, he restores, and we're gonna see how how he transforms throughout the the last 12 weeks of our series. But before we get into all those ingredients, James, right out of the gate, wants us again to know that suffering is the tool God uses to expedite our spiritual transformation. Suffering is the heat God uses to bring out the best flavor in Jesus' followers. And so let me ask you, how have the last two years gone for you? How how are your last two years going? Right, so like the dogs have really enjoyed the pandemic because they, you know, we were at home all the time. Dogs love people at home. Now cats, not so much. Cats were ready for us to go back to work, but like dogs really had a great time. They're living their best life in the pandemic. Um, But really other than the dogs, not too many other people I know really enjoyed the last two years. So how are your last two years going? You know, it's funny, I I didn't know that 2020 was gonna be a trilogy. But here we are, we're in year three of a pandemic. Remember when it was two weeks to flatten the curve? Then it was four weeks and well, maybe a month. And now again, we're at year three. I just wanna get vulnerable for a moment and say the last two years have been unusually hard uh, for Sarah and me. Um, It's not, really we haven't experienced a lot of suffering in our lives, our our relatively young lives. Uh, But the last two years have just been tough. Um, We had two emergency surgeries uh, for Sarah, and I remember the first one, whenever uh, her temperature spiked to 105, and we thought she was going septic and taking her down to the hospital, and they wouldn't let me in. You know, I thought, well, they're going to let me in because I'm a pastor. Nope, they're not going to let anybody in uh, 2020. And then we had a repeat of that in 2021 with a second emergency surgery. Thankfully, everything uh, seems to be all okay there. Uh, back in this, this past May, my sister passed away of a brain aneurysm. Many of you knew that, uh, but maybe you didn't know that. It was unexpected. She's two years younger than me, just out of the blue. Brain aneurysm bust, she died. 
uh, left behind three children, two daughters in their teens and one kindergarten son. I can remember when I got the call. Um, it was just stunned. I was just numb. Like, there's just no way that she's going. Yesterday, I was building a snowman with Caden, and uh, I was, just have these little memories sometimes. It's funny when grief pops back up, but I was building the snowman, and all of a sudden, I just remember building snowmen with my sister, right? And so that was, that was hard. It was harder for my parents. It was harder for her husband and her children in Pennsylvania, no doubt. And then there are other things that aren't quite as severe. I remember I got COVID back in March, you know, like, I'm not going to get COVID. I'm, yeah, sure enough, I got it and all the aches and pains and crazy head stuff that goes along with it. Um, I remember when, um, really, this past two years, I've gained 30 pounds. Like, let's just call the elephant in the room, right? Right? Like, like I found a nice, safe place to hide from the pandemic in my refrigerator. It was a great, great, it's cold, but it's a great place to hang out. And so just like eating my fears. And some of you, I know, some of you are right there, right there with me. Um, the last couple years, <clears throat> thinking through uh, about uh, Katie going off to college. Again, that's not really major suffering. It was just unusual for us. But I know that our suffering that Sarah and I have experienced is nothing compared to what some of you are experiencing. I got an email this week from a couple in our church and the husband, I just married them a little over a year ago. He's got to have a double lung transplant. And just looking at like, they thought they had the rest of their lives together. Now they're just, just not sure. And they're just praying through that. Pray with me for them. Um, we had a, a good friend this week that was vacationing out of the country and had to have emergency surgery out of the country. Emergency surgery is scary in the country, let alone outside of the country. For many of you, your cancer, uh, some of you, your cancer came back this year. Some of you are waiting for test results. Some of you have gone to way too many funerals this year and last year and the year before. Or you've had so too many quarantines or you've lost too much money. Whatever it is, what do I say to those families? What can I say to you? Like, let's get real for a moment. What can I say to you today that would somehow equip you for the next suffering in your life? What can I say to me for the next suffering to keep me from like freaking out? What can I say to us? Well, well thankfully, God's word has the answer. And today, I want to, I, I kind of see this service a lot like at a flight attendant before you take a flight telling you, you know, when you hit turbulence, do this, this, and this. None of us listen to the flight attendant until we hit turbulence. Then we're looking for that little placard, like, what did that lady say or what did that guy say? Please listen to this. You may not be going through suffering now, but you will go through suffering. It's coming again. And so in the next few minutes, let's let James prepare us for what we can do when suffering comes. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Who is James? <clears throat> According to Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, this James is the oldest half-brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus because Mary was his mother, but James wasn't virgin conceived like Jesus was. So Joseph was James's birth father. James didn't initially believe that Jesus was God. Now, he knew Jesus was a good kid, Jesus was a good teenager, Jesus was a good man, but according to John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, you can read it this week on your own, in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, James and his brothers thought Jesus was a little bit crazy. Like, claiming to be God? Like, what is this about? Yeah, you're good, but claiming to be the Messiah? Claiming to be God? 
However, something eventually changed James's heart. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, that something was the resurrection. We find that Jesus, in addition to appearing to Mary and Martha and the others, Jesus appeared to James, 1 Corinthians 15, 7. And at that moment, James put his faith in Jesus, in his brother. He realized, my brother is what he says he is. You know, a good resurrection will tend to do that. Like if, if your brother is like, hey, I'm God, you're like, I know you're not God. But if your brother rises from the grave three days later, like you know he's dead and rises from the grave, that's going to do something to you. And it did something to James. You can read more about James's story in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 15, and Galatians chapter 1 and 2. Now, James was the pastor, the lead pastor of the church at Jerusalem for about 30 years. History tells us that he became the lead pastor in Jerusalem shortly after Jesus ascended back into heaven. And then in AD 62, James was martyred. Church history tells us that he was martyred. His enemies took him to the top of the temple, which was a very tall building, and they threw him off the top, possibly even over one of the edge of the temple, uh, temple mount walls, but he was still alive. They thought that would kill him. So they go down, they find him still half alive, and they take clubs and stones and club and stone him to death. James, throughout his life, up until his death, knew something about suffering. And quickly, he's going to give us five encouragements, five challenges. you like, Matt, what can I do when I go through suffering? Here are five things James tells you to do. Number one, see your trials as gifts from God that will eventually bring you eternal reward. See your trials as gifts from God that will eventually bring you eternal reward. We see in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, this word consider is an accountant's term. It's a very black and white term. It means to count, calculate, or evaluate. James is saying to evaluate your trials with joy. How do we do that? Well, this is how we don't do that. James is not saying that you can't grieve or that you can't experience emotion. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is very clear. God created you as an emotional being. There's a time to laugh, Solomon says, and a time to cry. John 11.35 says that Jesus wept. Even Jesus wept at the loss, the death of his close friend Lazarus. And so don't interpret James 1 verses 2 through 4 as saying like, just pretend everything's okay, put a happy face, suck it up and move on. That's not what James is saying. But alongside, pretend like there's two tr the tracks of a train. You've got one rail that is our grief. It's our emotion. It's certainly acceptable for us to express that. And if we don't, it will kill us. But the other side of that train rail is this aspect that in our minds, we ask God to give us a heavenly perspective. That we know, even in our grief, that God is good, that God is wise, and that he is working something eternal even when we can't see it. So let's keep reading. He says, whenever, do, consider it a joy, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It's not 
if you do, but when you do. And notice that the word trials isn't singular. It's not like one trial, but it's trials, plural, of many kinds. So what truth do we need to be in our, have in our minds to be thankful or joyful in our trials? James begins by saying it's because it produces perseverance. A better word or a, a word more in our vernacular may be the word endurance. Trials and suffering produce endurance. The word endurance or perseverance refers to bearing under the weight of something. Like an ox would bear under the weight of the yoke plowing the garden. You see, faith is a lot like muscle tissue. Those of you who are doing your New Year's resolutions, faith is a lot like muscle tissue. If you stress it to the limit, it gets stronger, not weaker. That's what James means here. When your faith is stretched to the breaking point, the result is a greater capacity to endure. We sometimes tend to think that our suffering or that our faith endures in spite of our suffering. But James says that our faith endures because of our suffering. In other words, the regular exercise of our faith through regular trials actually makes us more able to endure life. He calls this perseverance. Now think with me for a moment. How did you learn to walk? Or most of us can't remember when we learned to walk. What about your children? How did your children learn to walk? I know how our children learn to walk by like bumping, each, you know, bumping and bruises and scraping their knees. And, and uh, this is probably terrible, but when our kids were little, uh, I loved it whenever like, they try to hold their heads up. You know, the little babies try to hold their heads up. We'd like lay them on the bed and just like they try to hold their heads up and then they can't hold it up anymore and they like, face plant in the bed. That's probably terrible that I laughed about that. But anyway, nobody else will laugh. So I'm going to keep moving on. Sorry, kids. Um, but we tried to teach our kids how to walk and they learn through bumps and bruises. Isn't that really how life works, right? We learn how to walk through, even how we grow emotionally, right? If you take someone and put them in a bubble and don't allow them to experience any kind of emotional pain or trauma, they're not going to be a very strong individual. They won't be strong emotionally or psychologically. So if that's the way it works physically, and if that's the way it works emotionally, why in the world do we think it's going to be something different spiritually? I mean, really. Like, you get around some Christians, and it's almost like they think that because they carry their Bible, God's going to sprinkle holy pixie dust on them, and they're going to magically be spiritual. That's not how it works. Yes, God uses his word in community. We're going to see that throughout the series. But what James wants you to know is this. If you have your Bible, you have your prayer, you have your Christian community, and if everything in your life is always hunky-dory, you won't get nearly as much out of them as if you do when you go through trials. That's James's point. It's a gift to the believer. What else do trials produce in our lives? Well, he says it has a finishing work, like a woodworker finishes her craft, or a concrete worker smooths out his concrete. Trials make us mature and complete, verse four. Now, James loves the word mature. He uses it seven times throughout his little book, and it means wholeness. If you're taking notes, that's going to be an important word for this series. Mature means whole or wholeness. It refers to flourishing, living a well-balanced life, or a completely integrated 
life. James gets us. The Spirit gets us. From his perspective, you and I are not completely whole, flourishing, integrated people. From God's perspective, even though he loves us, even though he's applied the righteousness of Jesus, from God's perspective, we have a lot of work to do. He has a lot of work to do on us. We are by nature fractured people with gaping inconsistencies in our character. Every single one of us. That's you, that's me, that's the person sitting next to you, the person sitting behind you. We all have inconsistencies. And so the purpose, again, of this book is to bring us back into wholeness, to at least help us to take steps in our Christian growth of holiness. God is on a mission to transform us. Yes, he saved us, but he wants also to transform us, and he uses trials to do it. Now, so far, those verses will give us some joy, right? You're like, okay, I can at least accept that. It gets some joy out of that. But verse 12 for me, studying this week, verse 12 is the verse that really brought a sense of joy. Look at verse 12 with me. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. What happens if you persevere? What happens if you don't hit the eject button? What happens if you don't soothe yourself with sin and allow yourself to escape to sinful pleasures when you are suffering? What's gonna happen? God promises for you the crown of life. Now, I don't know what that crown is, but it's something great. God promises you great reward if you'll continue to bear up under the suffering and not hit the eject button. You see, your suffering is not ultimately a thief that has stolen your best years. It's not a murderer who killed your dearest dreams. Your suffering is not a madman who wielded his weapon at random. Your suffering all this time has been the servant of God sent to bring you eternal reward. In other words, there's coming a day when you as a Christian, the Bible's filled with rewards for Christians, you are going to be rewarded for your suffering. Now that is a truth that can get us through the dark nights of the soul. That's a truth that can carry us through when very few other truths will. So number one, remember, see your trials as gifts from God that will eventually bring you eternal reward. Number two, pray that God will help you see his wisdom and goodness in your pain. Pray that God will help you see his wisdom and goodness in your pain. Notice verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, Such a person is a double-minded and unstable in all they do. Now, it's important for us to see these verses still in the context of suffering. They are sandwiched between the verses we just read, verses 2 through 4 and verse 12. 
James hasn't been distracted here. He's not like the proverbial dog chasing a squirrel. But James is still talking about suffering. There are a few commentaries I read this week that tried to almost make it indicate that, well, verses two through four are about suffering, and then James shifts gears, talks about something completely different in verse five. No, no, he's still talking about suffering. Verses two through 18 are all about suffering. Let's get an idea of what was going on in James's congregation. Again, he's the lead pastor of the church at Jerusalem. Many Christian Jews in his church suffering immensely for the gospel. And so through their suffering, not just in his church, but many of them had to leave Jerusalem to go find jobs, to provide for their families, which is why he said in verse one, he's writing to these folks who are scattered abroad. They're just, they've, they've scattered everywhere. Persecution, poverty, they are suffering. And they're wondering why? Why am I going through this suffering? They're even probably wondering, God, is it okay for me to ask you why I'm suffering? So let me ask you that question. Is it okay for you to ask God why when you go through suffering? Is it okay to ask God why? Now, according to Jesus, it is okay to ask God why. Jesus even asked God why. Remember when Jesus was dying on the cross? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What James is saying here is that God wants you to ask God why. That, that's the whole context of verses five through eight. Now, it's not saying that God is going to give you the specific reason why you're going through suffering. In other words, like God didn't let you get COVID this week to avoid a car wreck next week, right? I mean, maybe the Lord will reveal that to you somehow, but most of the time I find that's a little bit, ho a little bit hokey. Um, but what James is saying here is that if you pray for wisdom, God, why am I going through suffering? God will make the truths of verses two through four, the truths of verse 12, real in your soul. You know, you ever, you ever just read the Bible and say, well, I know that's true, but I really don't believe that's true. Like sometimes we know it in our head, but we've never really experienced in our life. What James is saying here is if that's you and you're like, look, I know God has a purpose for my suffering, but I'm really having a hard time believing it. James says, pray and pray and pray and ask God to give you the ability to see with heaven's eyes that your suffering has an eternal purpose and that it will bring you great reward. Has your suffering caused you to feel like James describes here? Have you ever felt over the last two, three years that you're like on the restless ocean, never at peace? Do you feel like you're constantly vacillating with the tide? James says, pray and God will help you see his wisdom and goodness in your pain. In that same context, we see verses nine through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a flower. The sun rises with scorching heat and withers with a plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. So in James's church, as he's looking out at his congregation, however they were set up, there's different kinds of people sitting next to one another. 
You had those people, those Jewish Christians who weren't allowed to sell at the market, buy and sell in the Jewish market. You had those Christians, those Jewish Christians who who had lost almost everything. Their family had abandoned them. They lost their inheritance and so forth, all because they accepted Jesus. So you had those people in poverty sitting in the church. But beside them, you might have someone sitting in the church who has great wealth. We know from history and from the New Testament that there were aristocrats, there were centurions, there were government officials, there were people in Roman society with great wealth who also came to Jesus. And they weren't suffering at this point any of this persecution. And so James is talking to both people. And what he's saying is this, if you are suffering poverty, and very few of us are, but if you're suffering poverty, James says you can rejoice knowing that the trial that you're experiencing, even if it's just financial hardship, the trial that you're experiencing is going to make you more like Christ. You can rejoice in that. And then he reminds those who who aren't going through that, maybe the, the wealthier Romans in the church, he's like, look, do not put your confidence in your money. He's like, in one day, it all could be gone. I remember Ed Jackson used to say at the, we'd go down to the mission and, and feed our neighbors at the mission. And Ed Jackson would say, never forget that in one day, this could be any one of us. Man, that's, that's what James is saying here. Hey, don't take confidence in your riches. They're gonna pass away. They're gonna wither like the flower. They're gonna wither like the grass. Let's all instead just realize that we need Jesus in the good times and the bad. Pray that God will help you see his wisdom and goodness in your pain. Number three, when you're weak and tired, be extra alert for sinful temptations. When you're weak and tired, be extra alert for sinful temptations. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived to give birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. When you're weak and tired, be extra alert for sinful temptations. You know, I find in, in my life that when I'm physically exhausted, mentally, spiritually exhausted, that I'm a lot more susceptible. For some reason, I'm more open to temptation. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Like whenever you're getting enough sleep, when you're not sick, when things are going well, that, that it just seems like you have a little bit more strength to endure some of that. But man, you get a day where two or three or four things in a row start falling like dominoes, and then the temptation comes And oh, it seems to be so much stronger. And so James is warning his congregation. Again, he hasn't shifted gears out of suffering. He's still in the context of suffering, verse 12. But he's saying here, hey, whenever you're going through suffering, remember, church, you're hurting. Remember, the world, the flesh, and the devil want to tempt you. God does not tempt his children with sin. God tests his children with trials. We already saw that. But God makes it very clear. I do not tempt my children to sin. So in verse 16, he tells us, don't be deceived by this. Don't be deceived. He'll tell us later, don't be deceived by the world. Don't be deceived by our flesh. Don't be deceived by the devil. I love you. 
But some of you have been way too deceived, even in your suffering. I want to encourage you for a moment and challenge you. If you've been running with the wrong kinds of people, please stop. We tell our children, we tell our students, we tell our teens, hey, don't run with somebody that's going to tempt you with drugs, alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. But why is it that we as adults sometimes allow ourselves to run with people who are hypercritical, fault-finding, judgmental, conspiracy theorists? Why do we allow ourselves to do that? God tells us in his word, the company we keep often becomes who we are. I love you, but I want to warn you in your suffering, be careful about the time and emotion and life you share with someone of the opposite sex. We don't want to be those weird Christians who can never be around somebody of the opposite sex, right? Other than our spouse, we don't want to be those people. But at the same time, there is some wisdom. Let's be careful. Let's be careful who we give our heart to, who we give our looks to, our glances to, who we give our emotional capital to. Sometimes in those moments of trial, Satan can swoop in and take advantage. Be careful how you use your phone. Be careful the volume and kind of news that you consume. Be careful about the kinds of things that come out of your mouth. You ever notice that the more tired, the more suffering you go through, it's just easier to fly off the handle? I noticed that in my life. Be careful. James says when you're weak and tired, whatever your temptations are, be extra alert. Number four, keep your eyes on your father. Keep your eyes on your father. Verse 17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, have you ever seen verse 17 set like in a beautiful doily or like cross-stitched into some little field of flowers or stars. It's a beautiful verse. I used to have this verse like hanging up. I remember it over my bed as a kid, right? Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of Lights, the King James Version. It's a great verse. It really is. And it's okay if you want to have it set like in flowers and doilies and all that. It's totally okay. I don't want to bust your bubble, but the context of verse 17 really is about suffering. In verse 17, James is saying this, your suffering is a good gift from a generous God. And he's going to keep giving you suffering and trials generously because he wants you to be conformed into the image of Christ. He's saying the same thing as Paul says in Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who have been called according to his purpose. I remember when I was in third grade, I got sick, nothing major, but I got sick. I couldn't keep any fluids down. It was just, I got dehydrated. And so my parents took me to the doctor, Dr. Happy Verma in Cross Lanes. That was my doctor. And, and, uh, and Dr. Verma, she sent me to the hospital to get some fluids. And so I was going to, at that time, you like stayed in the hospital, you know, for a week, you know, no big deal. But I think I was there two or three nights and getting fluids and just getting back on my feet. And I remember I was scared to death of needles, right? Scared to death of needles, still am. But anyway, so I, I go to the hospital and they take me in and they check everything and they're like, he's gonna need some fluids right away. I'll never forget this moment, right? I remember them having to hold me down. I was in the third grade 
and them sticking IVs, and I think they gave me a shot or two in the other arm, and I was freaking out. So those dear, poor nurses were holding me down, and I still remember this. My dad, at the back of the hospital wall in our room, right, right off of my bed, he would stand there like this, and he was leaning against the wall, and he wasn't mad, but I could just see that he, he grieved that I was going through what I was going through. He just grieved. And, and for, to the day I die, I'll remember his face just grieving, watching me go through that. And I remember thinking as I'm laying in that bed, Dad, make them stop. Come on, man, you can take these nurses, make them stop. Why didn't Dad make them stop? It's because Dad knew I needed what I was going through in that moment, even though he felt my pain. I love you, but some of you think that God has abandoned you. You think God has walked out on you in 2021? You think as we start 2022 that God's nowhere to be found and you came today running on spiritual fumes because you're not sure where God is. I'll tell you where God is. He might not be right there intervening and causing your pain to go away, but I promise he is in the room. He feels your pain. And the reason he's not doing anything is because he knows that what you're going through is good for you. That's why God says trials are a gift from him. So keep your eyes on your father. Lastly, number five, keep your eyes on your future. Lastly, verse 18, keep your eyes on your future. He says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This verse lumps Jesus saves, Jesus transforms, and God restores all into one thought. It's beautiful. This verse reminds us that the new heavens and the new earth are going to be phenomenal. However, God has already started the transformation process in us. We are the first fruits. We are the billboards. We are the glimpses of the new heaven and the new earth. Have you ever met a Christian who is truly the salt of the earth? a Christian who is truly, like truly loving? I mean, real, not perfect, but truly loving. You ever met somebody who is just truly joyful? I mean, they're perfect, but they're joyful. You ever met a Christian who's truly patient, peaceful, good, generous, self-controlled, meek? You ever met anybody like that? When you meet that Christian, what James 1.18 is saying is you're seeing a glimpse, just a flicker, just a billboard, just a glimpse. You're seeing a glimpse of the new heavens and the new earth. Romans 8.18 says, that's why I don't care or why I don't think there's any comparison between the present hard times and the coming good times. The created world itself can hardly wait for what's coming next. Everything in creation is being more or less held back but God reigns it in until both creation and all creatures are ready and can be released at the same moment into the glorious times ahead. Meanwhile, the joyful anticipation deepens. Revelation 21, if you're discouraged, read Revelation 21 this week. There's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth. God is gonna be with us and is gonna wipe away every tear from our eyes. The way you can get through your suffering right now is to remember that on that day, there will be no more cancer. There will be no more brain aneurysms. 
There will be no more financial hardship. There will be no more pandemics. There will be no more heart disease. There will be no more sad days. There will be no more tears. There will be no more funerals. There's only going to be eternal reward for those who've put our faith in Christ. And somehow, in some way, I don't understand, there's going to be more reward for you if you don't hit the eject button but you just bear under the weight and say, God, I know you're good. I know you're sovereign and you're going to carry me home. See your trials as gifts from God that will bring you eternal reward. Pray that God will help you see his wisdom and goodness in your pain. When you're weak and tired, be extra alert for sinful temptations. Keep your eyes on your father and keep your eyes on your future because suffering is the heat God uses to bring out the best flavor in Jesus' followers. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media.